Yes, indeed, Lord, there is a war, and we are in it, and it belongs to you, Father. The battle is yours. We thank you for this day. We give you praise. We declare that you, Lord God, are in control of everything and of all things, everything that crawls and creeps and speaks on this earth, Lord God. You are over all of it, and it all is under your thumb and dominion. So, Father God, we thank you for protecting your loved ones protecting your family, even as you have not forsaken or abandoned us or denied us or mocked us, even as many of us have done to you, we ask for forgiveness, Lord God. Even as we study this week about the treachery, the terrible, blasphemous, horrible things that were done to Jesus Christ as he uh, hung dying on that cross, Lord, how those things are so still with us in every way, shape, and form in the mouths and hearts of human beings, or those thoughts of wickedness and blasphemy and... uh, just mockery. So, Father, forgive us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for not listening to those taunts. Thank you for not coming down from the cross. Thank you for loving us enough to die for us. Thank you, Lord, that that is no small thing. That is as big as anything you ever did in the whole universe, including creating it. Father God, redeeming it was just as big. And so we thank you now, Father, for um, giving us new eyes, eyes to see and ears to hear. Peel off the cataracts of unbelief and doubt and fear and exhaustion and anxiety, and let us see truly the gift, the power, the revelation of the mystery, not only of the cross, but of eternity. And I thank you, Lord. You have promised us you'd never leave us or forsake us or abandon us, and that we believe because you do not lie, because you cannot lie, because if you lie, you're not God. And so we thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you. In that, we are very encouraged. In that, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In that, we are not afraid. And we thank you, Lord, that the enemy is defeated, that all the works and weapons of of the enemy, including the ones he works and, and brings into our hearts and minds, to stir up difficulty and and dissonance and division and distraction are all subdued by the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our our God, who is our triumph and our victory. Now we thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom as we speak and as we hear, as we share this precious and sacred moment of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Amen. Amen. Well, Matthew chapter 27 provides us an account of the most perverted and precious time in human history. In just a few short days, the people's cries of Hosanna had turned to the crowd's cries of crucify him. Jesus had well described the situation earlier by saying to the mob which arrested him, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now even some of the very words of Satan to Jesus in the wilderness temptation are being repeated through the mouths of the mocking crowd. Save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. He saved a crooked tax collector named Zacchaeus. He saved Mary Magdalene, setting her free from seven demons. He saved the demoniac of Gadara, setting him free from a legion of demons. He saved the woman caught in the very act of adultery. He saved blind Bartimaeus and gave him his sight. 
He saved the woman who was hopelessly bleeding to death. He immediately healed a man full of leprosy. And he raised Lazarus after he had been dead for four days. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now the mob, led by the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and the Roman soldiers, and the two thieves crucified, crucified with Jesus, mocked him. Oh, now, look at the great Savior. Ha, some Savior. He can't even save himself. You, the King of Israel? No way. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. It's not that he couldn't come down. He wouldn't come down. Because Jesus is not about saving himself. He's about giving himself to save others, to save you and me. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Though Jesus did not avoid the cross, he embraced the cross. Jesus would not come down from the cross because he came down to earth for the cross. Trusting the Father is staying on the cross. Deliverance from Satan's lies, Satan himself, and sin doesn't come to us from Jesus getting off the cross. It comes to us from Jesus staying on the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the central and eternal moment in the perfect redemptive plan of God. While Jesus was dying, death itself was dying. While the people were cursing him, God was breaking the curse of sin by becoming a curse for us. While Satan was dishing out his worst, God was giving the world his very best. While the crowds were railing, Jesus Christ was redeeming. All the filth, horror, shame, and guilt of the crimes of the human race were being laid upon him. A totally sinless man bore our sins so that we who are unrighteous could be declared and made righteous. For he, God the Father, hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ's obedience took him to the cross. Your obedience will take you to your cross too. There's no other way to follow him. And when he had called the people, he said unto him with his disciples, Also he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. You and I are not here on earth to save ourselves, to satisfy ourselves, to assert ourselves, to defend ourselves, to affirm ourselves, to get in touch with ourselves, to serve ourselves, or to find ourselves. We are here to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. The curse of the contemporary church is that we want our life without our cross. The cross was okay for Jesus, but not for us. Not for me. We want all of its perks, 
without any of its pain, the amenities without the agonies. We want to come and dine with him without having to come and die with him. So taking up your cross means a one-way journey. It's a one-way journey that means fighting lifelong battles against Satan and sin in an intense spiritual war that Jesus Christ has already won. There's no turning back. Luke 9.62 says, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Taking up your cross is when God's will crosses your will and you choose to do the will of God. It is dying to your own plans and ambitions so Christ lives in you and is in full control of you. Our cross includes the suffering, death, persecution, shame, ridicule, rejection, and other enemy attacks we experience because we are followers of Jesus. The world hated him. The world, including many in the professing church today, will hate us. Satan and his demons fought Jesus from before his birth all the way to the cross. Satan and his demons fight us all the way as we follow Jesus. We live according to kingdom values that lead us to go to places no one else would go and to people no one else cares about and do things no one outside of Jesus Christ would do. The cross of Christ sharply divides the human race into the saved and the lost, believers and unbelievers. The cross of Jesus Christ ever remains God's unique and most extreme action of love taken in order to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and eternity in the lake of fire. Jesus willingly went to and stayed on the cross, on his cross, until death, giving up his life because of his amazing love for you and for me. And how about you and me? Will we deny ourselves, take up our cross every day, following Jesus no matter what the cost for the sake of those he bled and died to save? Or will we refuse our cross or drop it somewhere along the way because we thought it got just too heavy? The preaching of the cross is our message to the world. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The hymn writer Thomas Shepard put it this way, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. The consecrated cross I'll bear till death shall set me free. And then go home my crown to wear, for there's a crown for me. No cross, no Christ. No cross, no Christian. No cross, no crown. But the unmistakable proof that Jesus Christ is truly the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the King of Israel and the Savior of the world is not that he came down from the cross or even that he stayed on the cross, but that he came up 
from the grave. Romans chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 in the Amplified Bible says this, And as to his divine nature, according to the spirit of holiness, was openly designated the Son of God in power in a striking, triumphant manner by his resurrection from the dead, even Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Messiah, the Anointed One. It is through him that we have received grace, God's unmerited favor, and our apostleship to promote obedience to the faith and to make disciples for his name's sake among all the nations. And this includes you, called of Jesus Christ, and invited, as you are, to belong to him. Amen. That's awesome. That is truly um, a, a, an incredible thing, what Jesus Christ did. We're going to look into it a little more deeply now, into the various conversations and words, as much as we can glean in, in a few minutes to share with you. Um, but what had happened, kind of a summary up to this point, uh, they had already, the court had already heard all of the arguments about truth in Pilate's presence. You know, they were discussing who is truth, what is truth. We had that discussion. The court had already heard <clears throat> all the accusations. Uh, the court had already uh, been sold out even before these uh, discussions to perpetuate the lies and endorse the liar who had control of them and the system that they supported, that they had given their agreement to. So the, the liars, the Sanhedrin, the, the religious elders, whatever, they had already been bought and paid for by Satan. And, and nothing really is new or is any different, even this morning, even this day, yeah. as the court has acquitted another guilty one. But Jesus was not guilty. But here we see in the, the adverse moments of his crucifixion a replay, if you will, of the temptation in the wilderness where Satan came to him. Remember what he said? He said, if you are the Son of God, you know, if you are, who are you? Who do you think you are? This is the whole crux and issue of Jesus Christ hanging on that cross right now. Again, who in the world are you? What gives you the right to do this, say this, destroy the temple, push things around, change the agenda? Who in the world do you think you are? That is the great challenge that's been all through uh, <clears throat> history. And if you, you know, you go even like onto, you know, History Channel, they'll have programs like who is Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. And and even they don't know. They don't jo- want to know. Right. They in, never in tell John you. John chapter six, seven, and eight. <clears throat> I, I counted about twenty different opinions, opinions about the true, the identity of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that Jesus. That's the challenge of his identity. Yeah. In the, it was like we we just were talking about. It was the challenge in the wilderness with Who the devil. You? If you are the Son of God. Do this, mm-hmm. you know, do that. Mm-hmm. And come, the same thing has come here uh, at the cross. Well, here Satan said in the wilderness, if you're the son of God, prove it. Turn these stones into bread. So his temptation, Jesus was being tempted by Satan, who twists the Lord's love and dependence upon his God, the Father, into if you trust him, if you trust in God, defy him, jump down off the temple, see if he'll catch you. The twist of Satan is to tempt Jesus to achieve or approve his absolute victory 
by acting presumptuously in rebellion, in self-absorption, to assume or presume that he should or move ahead without the um, will and, and, and recognition and authorization of his father. Turn these stones into bread, tempt the father, see if he'll catch you, bow down and worship me. So we have this discussion. Um, now at the cross, Satan is mocking Jesus again in absolute uh, looking like Jesus is looking like he's in absolute defeat and that God himself would publicly have to disown him and the trust which Jesus had put in him. Uh, so Satan was implicating the father in saying this. He trusted in God. I mean, he was saying it through the words of the people, of course. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him. Now, if he will have him, um, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him. That's a rep, uh, kind of a repeat from the Psalm 22, verse 8. If, if he delights in him. So he's saying, if the father loves you, if he delights in you, let him endorse you. Let him recognize you. Let him deliver you from this mess. So he was implicating that even God the Father was, you know, because God the Father did not move, wasn't responding to taking his son off the cross. He wasn't going to um, disrupt the mission. They made that look like God the Father also was on their side. Mm-hmm. And that Jesus was all by himself. And that's why we hear him say, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he was understanding they had to have this parting. They had to have this father-son separation for the salvation of the world. And Jesus knew that. So if you are the son of God becomes that whole issue that Satan is continually creating around Jesus in our minds, in our hearts. Who are you? Who was he? Who do you think you are? Um, if you're the son of God, save yourself. And this was the mockery of the crowd that just jeered and scoffed and mocked. And I think of all the things he went through in the crucifixion, the pounding, the nails, uh, the nerves pressing up against those spikes, um, the, the crown of thorns, the blood running, dripping from his face. I, I don't believe anything was as terrible or difficult as receiving. And, and, and you know, he could have come down from the cross. He could have, but he wouldn't. He would not, even though the people who mocked him were the very ones he was forgiving and, and saving. And for those very lives, he had to stay on the cross. How intense was that brutal accusation? We think we go through some tough stuff, but he had so much love and composure, even in his death, that he was able to do the will of God. So in this moment, when Satan is, is, is stirring up the crowd to hold spite and contempt, madness and insanity, um, you know, it's like, how do, how do we, how did they, how do we, even today, there's nothing different today. How do we get so in, influenced, seduced, sucked into, uh, and deceived by the lie? Um, you know, if, if this, if this crucifixion that happened in AD 33 would be today, this coming Friday, we would have had the exact same response. It would seem like there's been no change. There's still those firmly committed to the lie, dedicated to the world and Satan who has ordered it. Um, still, people so crazy, blind, foolishly tipped upside down to believe that what they believe is the right, is the truth, and they won't let go of it. They won't lay down their lie to, to do that which is right. They're, they're really locked in, and that's what goes right back to Romans 1 where it says, they refused the love of the truth because they did not glorify God. They were not thankful. Um, they changed the truth for, uh, the, exchanged the love and the truth and the thankfulness of God for a lie. 
And then that lie became the truth because they promoted it as the truth. We're, we're in the same spot. Just think of it. If Jesus would die this Friday on the cross, somewhere on a hill in, in Jerusalem, the world would have the same confusion, the same discussion, the same scoffing, the same, if you are the son of God, prove it, prove it, come down. He didn't come down because he did prove he was God. And you know, he was completely outnumbered one to everybody else. That's the odds God likes to work with all the time. One against everybody else. You know? And he gets a few along the way, like those who are crying at the cross, the, the few that stuck with him to be there. And most of those who stood at the foot of the cross actually were his relatives. His a mother, his aunt, his other aunt, um, the mothers of seven of the 12 disciples were his cousins. And they were there. The women were there. The men just all gone, except for John, who probably just loved him so much he didn't know any better, and he didn't care if he'd live or die. He was the one Jesus gave the job of taking care of his mother, which was a very important job um, to take care of this precious woman who had take care, taken care of him. So even in his death, he thought of his final responsibility to provide for his mother, and he did. And he didn't, um, you know, didn't, put that off because it was so hard on him. Um, and notice, too, that the only thief, the only crucified victim that day, and probably most days, who got any kind of identification pounded on the top of his cross was Jesus Christ. And the word said, this is the king of the Jews. Again, we're going back to who is he? Who is he? Who is he? he this is, and there was a dispute about even those words that Pilate penned. This is the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews. Even that was a, a mockery. That was put in, uh, on there as a mockery. It said, okay, yeah. because the Jews were despised. And Pilate and, and was Pi annoyed with them. <laughs> right. The Jews were despised and said, okay, here's your king. Okay, your your king is dying the death, a horrible death of the the as a law, the lowest of criminals. Well, and see, Pilate knew, he knew everything. As a matter of fact, there, I believe Pilate is in heaven. You can do what you want with that. But I, I really believe I'm going to get to shake his hands or give him a hug. He had a very difficult role and he was, he did know. He did know this man was the son of God. He did know that he actually wrote that in his report to Rome as he had to give his, um, what do they call that? Debriefing or whatever they call it. <clears throat> Anyway, you can look that up. Um, but the cross, the, think about this. The cross was where God, the love of God, the relationship between the Father and the Son, <clears throat> where those two drove a stake down into the corrupt, controlled, demon-occupied creation that it was claimed by Satan. This cross was like a stake that drew the line and created an earthquake, a dividing line in the earth. Um, and Satan has made it. It is, it is the whosoever will believe. It, this is the dividing line, the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the redemption, the truth of who Jesus said he was. This is where the line began. The line is still here. The line is not going to move anytime soon. Whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to cross over that line of unbelief and doubt and skepticism and reasoning to go with what you already know, what God has created you to know, uh, and to accept, embrace, surrender to, bow to, uh, and believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? Again, who is he? Is he an imposter? Is he a liar? 
Is he a magic magician? Is he the son of God? Is he insane? Is he who he said he was? If he if he isn't who he said he was, if we is if he is who we say he is, oh, he was a great prophet. Oh, he's a great teacher. Oh, he was a great this that. That is not enough of an acknowledgement of Jesus Christ to get you saved. That is not. Sure, he was a prophet. Yes, he was. He a great teacher. Yes, right up there with Confucius and Buddha and all the rest of them. Beyond them, actually. But if you just are beyond them, yes, they're not even in the same league. <clears throat> well, you know, that's what they're kind of putting Jesus in the league with Buddhists, right. Buddha and, and Confucian. But the thing is, he's more than that. He he was all of that, but he is the savior of the world. And if you don't acknowledge, the Bible says in Romans ten nine and ten. And here's an issue too. It's a simple little big huge, simple little big huge problem. I'm not sure they're saved. People will come to me with that all the time. Well, is your is your brother saved? Is your mother saved? Well, I don't know if they're saved. Uh, I don't know. You know. Well, then I say to them, well, Romans 10 and 10, 9 and 10, do they believe Jesus Christ died on the cross? Do they believe he died on the cross for their sins? Do they believe he died on the cross for, well, do they acknowledge that? Do they verbalize that? And they'll say, I'd say, well, if you'd ask them, did Jesus Christ die on the cross for your sins? What would they say? And they'll say, well, yeah, they'd say, yeah. And then I say, well, do they believe that he, he rose from the dead? Would they believe that? Well, yeah. Is he coming in? Well, yeah, they'd believe that. Well, the Bible says if you do that and say that with your mouth, you are saved. That's not that very difficult to do. And the other thing, if you know, if you acknowledge with your mouth, believe in your heart, and the Bible also says two verses later, this question, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, have they ever prayed? Have they ever prayed for someone they love to get better or they prayed for something? To God, have they ever prayed? Yeah, yeah. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the quote. That's the, the, the word from Romans 10, 9, and 10, and 13. So how many people out there are running around, not sure they're saved, but they are saved. But if you don't, if you get a Christmas present and you never open it, and it's a beautiful present. I mean, you don't exactly all know what's in that box, but it is your salvation, okay? It is your healing. It is your grace. It is your strength to live your life. It is joy. It is peace. It's hope. It's purpose. But you never open that box. You have the box. You kept it under the Christmas tree all year, and then you moved it into the closet. That's your salvation. You've never opened it up. You really don't know what's in there. You haven't used it. It could be a, it could be a life changer for you, but you just leave it in the closet. Well, do you have the gift? Yeah. Are you using it? No. Well, who's to be to blame for that? The devil, of course, because he's telling you, oh, it's no big deal. It's nothing. You know, you can live without it. Who cares what's in the box? You know, it's your life. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. It is your um, ticket, if you will to heaven. And I am not the one to judge who's going to go to heaven and who's not. But I have an interesting feeling. I guess it's interesting because I have a feeling and suspicion that not everybody who thinks they're going to go there is going to go there. Because a lot of people have said, Lord, 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 haven't we done many mighty works Mm -hmm. in your name? And he will say, who are you? I don't know you. Who are you of? What spirit are you of? You didn't do that in my authorization because we can do a lot of things that look like God, that sound like God, that everybody thinks are God. We can do all these wonderful, high, uh, highly acclaimed things, and God will say, "Who are you? Who are you?" God will say to the little widow who gives the one mite and throws it in the offering box, "Wow, she did a great job." And to those who are, you know, with their phylacteries and their robes and their their high, pious ideas and attitudes and seats in the synagogue and best places at the feast, who are you again? I don't know you. So we see everything with God is pretty much backwards with how you see it. We go with appearances all the time, and we don't understand the revelation of 
who we are, who, who God is. So now here it is. Here we are. AD 33, all over again. The cross is the stake has been driven in the ground. Now you have time, yet a little time. Are you going to join the mockers and say, if you are the son of God? Or are you going to say, you are the son of God. Don't come down from that cross right now, but raise from the dead. God endorsed him three days later. By that time, the crowds were dissipated, dissipated and they were all assured that they had just crucified an imposter. And they didn't really, I don't think a lot of them looked, at, looked back at it. Um, so Jesus wanted God's son, I, I, I'm sorry, Satan wanted God's son to, to look like a rejected embarrassment to the father. That's what he wanted. He wanted all the people to see this is just an imposter. This is a, he's an embarrassment to our God. And think about it. The God they served was they built this awesome temple, this shiny, full of gold temple. But guess what? The temple, Jesus said he would destroy it in three days and, re, and rebuild and I mean, destroy it in, in three days, rebuild it. It took 46 years for Herod and his gang to build this temple and finish this temple. And Herod was a very vile and wicked man. All of the work, I mean, yeah, you could say, well, God used a wicked man to do his will. But God was saying at the end, you know, 40 years later, that temple was completely raised to the ground. Not a stone left upon another. You still got the rubble over there in Jerusalem where they actually did that. Why did God, God do that? Because he didn't need that temple anymore. Because now we are the temple. He dwells in us. He set, he closed one chapter, Old Testament, and he opened a new chapter. And for those of us who get it, we can have Jesus Christ living in our hearts and we can be guided by his spirit. So it says in the, in the final, final scoffing, mocking, blasphemous report, they spoke out and said, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. So these blasphemous challenges, mocking Jesus, what can we say? Except let's not do that ourselves. Let's not allow those spirits of unbelief and mockery and skepticism and unforgiveness and bitterness and holding judgments and holding grudges take us away from the truth of who God is. And if he forgave, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was right there, right then, releasing them from his judgment, turning the judgment of the whole situation over to the Father, which is exactly what you will do to be free. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So this is our opportunity to actually be like Jesus. Forgive them and release them from our judgment and turn it over to the court of heaven and let God be the judge so that therefore Satan will not judge you for judging them. Because one more final thing, if you hold others in judgment, Satan will hold you in judgment and he will judge you with the same judgment you judge them with. So if you're holding them in a, in a, a place of bitterness, um, you know, anger, refusing to love and forgive, you may end up with a lot of inflammation in your body which is the, the physical reflection of the spiritual injustice. And if you've been offended, and Jesus said offenses will come. He, was, he could have been offended that day. He was not offended. Why? Because here we go to the bottom line. He knew who he was. He knew why he was doing this. It wasn't about him. Therefore, he didn't have to pick up the offense and take it personal and feel like an abuse victim because it was not about him. It was about the will of the Father, and this had to be done to redeem back mankind with blood of a sacrificed lamb, the pure lamb of God, the, the, the God-man, to bring back, to pay in full what Satan demanded, which was blood, death. The life of the flesh is in the blood. They, the blood had to be given for the life to be restored. And so Jesus was the only one eligible to do that, and Jesus did that. And so we know now 
that the price has been paid. You are free. And we thank you, Father God, that we are free. Whom the Son sets free is free. Let's be free. Let's know we're free. Let's walk in who you say we are and not. And that's the other thing, Lord. You know who you were. Let us know who we are. We are yours, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High, servants, saints, and soldiers of the Most High. Now we pray, Father God, that you'd anoint us with deep, holy, powerful. We release the revelation of Jesus Christ and these words and this moment in history into the revelation of our understanding for all those who are listening, that we will be transformed and changed and never be the same again once we realize or comprehend the the love that you had for us to do this to deny yourself, abandon yourself, and go to the depths of hell literally for us. So let them and all of us be transformed by this revelation, Father, this day. In Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, please uh, pass on these Rescue Radio reports to other people so that they can also be encouraged. And check us out at liferecovery.com for many other encouraging, inspiring Um, books, CDs, messages, blogs, bless you and have a wonderful and holy blessed Resurrection Day. In Jesus' name, amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.